0: As we consider the way faith in God should be handed down through the generations, we read what the psalmist said in Psalm 78. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things that we have heard, things that our ancestors have told us, We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell them to the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded to our ancestors to teach to their children so the next generation would know them. Even the children yet to be born And they, in turn, would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds. But we would keep his commandments. And they would be like their ancestors. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. In the New Testament... We can see the same priority at work in the early church as we read our second reading it's on page 1200 1200 Titus chapter 2 Teach the older men to be temperate worthy of respect self-controlled sound in faith in love and in endurance Likewise teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Albert Einstein said that children are our most valuable resource. Herbert Hoover, the American president uh, around the time of the Great Depression, said that children are our most valuable resource, children are our future and should be seen as valuable investments. Invest in them wisely. Invest in them well. And we will see a brighter future. A couple of years ago, the uh, economics Nobel laureate uh, Stitzlik said this. Our society is squandering its most valuable resource, our young. But on the surface, parents will do pretty much anything for their kids. The sacrifices that parents spend on kids to educate them, give them opportunities to excel in music and dance and drama and sport, and academics, they know no bounds battling through Sydney traffic on a Saturday to sport staying up way too late on Christmas Eve assembling uh, bikes and train sets and dolls houses and cubby houses and trampolines no uh, by the way you know those spring free trampolines problems with with the nets and the, the genius of the spring free trampoline is those fiberglass rods that are under high tension and the trick is they 've got a little ball on the end of it you've got to push the ball into a little knuckle under great tension and if you don't get it in it'll snap back really hard. Just a quick tip if you ever find yourself assembling a spring-free trampoline at 1am on Christmas morning I just point out that those rods are at groin height and just just be careful. Uh, no, No sacrifice is too great for children We want our kids to thrive as confident, competent citizens. And as adults, the consolation prize that goes along with deteriorating eyesight and hearing is that you gain some perspective and wisdom. We know that it is worth incurring a bit of cost today to secure something greater tomorrow. That's why, for example, 62.3% of us here in Sydney gladly pay thousands of dollars every month to a bank, to those institutions that Royal Commissioner Haynes said pursued their own profit over every other motivation. We gladly pay thousands of dollars every month to those, I mean, to, to, to those organisations that will exploit us given half a chance. Why? Because of the hope that in 25 years... We will own our very own piece of Australia. We'll have our very own home. As adults, we play the long game. And that's the assumption behind what I've been asked to speak to you about today. Investing in the next generation. Your presence here in church this morning tells me you're probably on board With this, that we want to see our kids, we want to see the next generation grow up, not just as confident, competent citizens here, but to grow up as citizens of heaven. To inherit eternal life with us by living with their trust in Jesus. Your presence here this morning tells me you're probably on board with this. But in case you're not fully persuaded, let me give you my top three quick reasons why you should be why you can be sure that for yourself, for your family, for those whom you love, why having Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour is the wisest, very best thing you can do. Number one reason, it's true. The gospel of Jesus Christ is true. It's evidenced by the findings of physics and cosmology and anthropology and psychology. One of my favourite examples is, is here in in history and the background's kind of got in the way of that but you can see a timeline and um, at the, the left is 700 BC at uh, the time when the Old Testament prophet Isaiah uh, spoke and wrote and he predicted the life death uh, and uh, resurrection of Jesus with stunning accuracy and um, up until about the 1940s, the earliest copy of Isaiah we had was 700 AD. That's a gap of 1,400 years. And so the critics said, well, of course it looks like the Bible in the Old Testament prophet Isaiah pr- accurately predicted the life, the ministry, the death and resurrection of Jesus, because it was written hundreds of years after it happened and it was just retrofitted to make it look like it was a, um, a prediction Before the event, then when the, there we go. Thank you, Jim. Uh, So that's a gap of 1,400 years. Then the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered dating back to 150 BC. And the jewel in the crown of this archaeological treasure trove was this bad boy, the great scroll of Isaiah that's now on permanent public exhibition in Jerusalem. It's a complete copy of the scroll of Isaiah. And when the Boffins compared that copy with the previously uh, oldest copy, 700 AD, they found it to be about 98 point something percent accurate with just a few changes in spelling and the word order of sentences. Friends, this gives us empirical confidence that what we read in the Bible is true. Second reason why you can be sure that having Jesus as your Lord and Saviour is the very best, wiser, smartest thing you and your family can do is because it works. Study after study show that people of faith are generally happier, more content, with more stable home lives, less addictive behaviours, less encounters with the police. Life is simply better when you're a person of faith. So we recently, uh, YouthWorks and some other um, scripture providers, uh, released this study into SRE, Special Religious Education. Uh, We commissioned two Jewish scholars. One of them is the chair of a United Nations Committee into Faith and Education. And they demonstrated that giving kids time to explore faith delivers at least four key benefits. It's an effective values education, It has tremendous psychological benefits to young people. It strengthens the multicultural fabric of our schools and it creates safe places for our students to explore questions of faith and belief. And the best bit about that study is that they left out the best bit about scripture, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Back in 2012, a sociologist called Robert Woodbury released a paper called The Missionary Roots of Liberal Democracy. And in it, he showed that the presence of Protestant missionaries who were in the business of converting indigenous people to the Christian faith, it was their bringing of our Christian faith to these countries in Africa and Asia and Latin America and Oceania that best explains why some countries, like Australia, are stable and prosperous with the rule of law and why other countries are basket cases. As you can imagine, people opposed to the Christian faith, assorted secularists and atheists, went absolutely A-grade burko over this study. That's a technical phrase that we academics use. (laughs) Um, They went nuts when Woodbury released this study, and they said his findings were just a coincidence, total bollocks. So that's another technical phrase. Um, Woodbury repeated his analysis across every single continent, except for Antarctica, because the penguins couldn't do his multiple choice questions. And he found that across the globe, wherever missionaries brought the Christian faith to countries, they flourished rather than got, than got bogged down in civil wars and corruption. Friends, the Christian faith works. And thirdly, it more properly he he changed my life he changed my life not just for good but for the very best and jesus can change your life too he rose from the grave and he is alive today more powerful than anything else in the universe he changed my life he can change yours too and the key to seeing lives churches and whole communities changed for good and forever is intergenerational ministry. Older people investing in the lives of the next generations. And I want to show you that from the, Bible, uh, from the Bible in a few minutes. But first, I want to assure you that YouthWorks is on board with you in wanting to see your kids, the next generation of young people, grow up as mature, lifelong followers of Jesus. YouthWorks exists to see an effective youth and children's ministry in every church. And we do that by partnering with churches in commending the Christian faith to the, next, to the next generation. So we enable you by working with your youth minister and your children's minister to punch above your weight by giving you access to the sort of resources that only a, a larger specialist organisation can deliver. So you might know of our our seven conference centres across three locations that host some 80,000 guest nights a year. Our Christian outdoor education camps, running curriculum camps for schools, 16,000 kids a year. In term one this year, 50 kids told our leaders they made a first-time decision to trust Jesus on one of our, our COE camps. Our publishing house... Uh, publishes our, our scripture, our SRE resources used by about a quarter of a million students every year across Australia. Do we have any SRE teachers here this morning? Anyone teach SRE from St John's? A couple, excellent. Thank you for your ministry. Uh, we also have a gap year program, year 13, that disciples school leavers at this critical juncture of life. YouthWorks College is one of only two dedicated Bible colleges training specialist youth and children's ministers anywhere in the world. And we've got a ministry support team that I I raise funds for to make them available, to be on call, for free, on tap, to help churches uh, in their support of the people who work with their young people. And we are loving working with Jim and his team to help your church flourish. And the evidence is clear across Sydney, across Australia, across the world, that where churches intentionally invest in their youth and children's ministry, that whole church flourishes. But it has to be intergenerational, where the generations mix. And we should want to be a part of that because the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Christian faith, It works, it's true, and it changes lives for good. And because we want the best for our young people, we want to raise them in the knowledge and love of Jesus. So how do you do it? Well, Christianity is not a religion of us trying to reach up to God, constructing a ladder out of all our good works and religious observances in the hope that this ladder will somehow overwhelm our sins and reach high enough to heaven No, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship of God reaching down to us in the person of Jesus. So how do you pass on your Christian faith, your relationship with Jesus to your kids, to the next generation? Because Christianity is a relationship and not a religion, it's caught and not taught. Let me tell you what I don't mean and then what I do mean. I do not mean... There's nothing to teach about the Christian faith. There is plenty. We want to be teaching our kids from a young age. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God through Moses tells his people, they're on the edge of the promised land, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. God commands his people to teach children certain things. You could start by teaching them that contrary to what they might believe, they are not at the centre of the universe and they do not deserve better. They are like you and me, they are sinners by nature and sinners by choice. We need to teach them that contrary to what to what our culture is telling them, they have been purposely created by the one who is at the centre of the universe and they are loved eternally and unconditionally by him. What a corrective to the performance-based anxiety that is being thrust upon our young people in this digital age, that they are loved eternally and unconditionally. We want to teach our kids some great Bible passages like John 3.16 that, that, that sum up the love story of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not really die but have eternal life. We do need to teach our children these key planks of the Christian faith. And more than that, you need to model the Christian faith. You need to live it before their very eyes. Now, the Bible says that it is God's plan for parents to have the lead role in providing for the spiritual formation of their kids. But we, as God's people, we all have a part to play. They say it takes a village to raise an idiot, and it takes a whole church community to raise up the next generation of followers of Jesus. And we do that by modelling our faith to our kids. Now here's a photo of a typical family. Soft focus photo, the perfect family strolling in a sunlit meadow. I could have chosen this as the photo for my Bible talk, but you and I know life is nothing like that. This is a better photo. Just an average punter walking along a dusty, well-worn trail with his child. We need to let our kids, we need to let the next generation see us live life. My oldest is 22. We went to his best mate's 21st last year. And as the birthday boy paid tribute to his parents, he singled out a chair in the corner of the lounge room that we could all see. And he said, most mornings I would come downstairs and my mum would be sitting in that chair with a cup of tea in one hand and her Bible open in the other. That mum is a doctor. She's one of the busiest women I know. But she modelled the Christian life to her sons by letting them see how she put her faith into practice by carving out time every day to spend time in God's word. And we know the way to sustain a relationship is is through conversation, through, through talking. We know that the Bible is God's word to us. You want to know how God talks to us? Through his word. And prayer is us talking to God. Do you bring your young people into your relationship with God? Do you pray with them? Do they see you at prayer? Do you read the Bible with them? We read the Bible, we pray with our kids, and we do the two other things that God commands his people to do. We meet with his people at church and we tell others about Jesus. The reason why I say the Christian faith is caught and not taught is because we can teach our kids lots of good biblical doctrine. You can tell them that the Bible is our creator's good word to us, that prayer is his gift that allows us to talk to the king of the universe anywhere, anytime, about anything, that prayer is powerful and prayer changes the future. We can teach our kids all this and more till we are blue in the face. But if we don't live it, your kids are going to drive a bus through the hypocrisy of your lives. You know hypocrisy. It's where you say... Do as I do, not as I say. The conduct and the priorities that you model will be the priorities that, all other things being equal, your kids will take into their lives. Do you come to church every second week? Maybe you're here every week. Unless, of course, there's a better offer. Now, your kids will see what you truly value and think is important. At the first sign of things not going to plan, do you swear and carry on or do you model patience and joy and self-control and love? Do your kids see you going to a midweek home group? Do you talk with the young people in your life about your budget and what you give money to? Do they see you making sacrifices for the glory and honour of Jesus Christ or do they see you living with yourself at the centre of the universe? Back when our kids were uh, 12, 10 and 1, and yes, there's a nine-year gap, um, going on holidays up the coast in summer for the the, um, Aussie family holiday was quite the achievement. The clothes, the esky, the travel cot, the high chair, the stroller... We had to work out what the most important things were and put them in the boot first. And once all the important gear was in, then and only then could we work out if we'd take one, two or three boogie boards, the tennis rackets, the scooters, the PlayStation, the board games, the wish li- the, the, the cuddly toys, the wish list was endless. The crucial things go in first and the nice to have things, they get fitted in only if there's room. So when you're packing your diary, does meeting with God's people go in first? Or do you load your family life up with sport and birthday parties and and musicals and the theatre and restaurants and, and, and then see if there's any space to meet as God's people around God's word? For those of you here this morning who are parents, I know how hard this is. Now, we didn't allow one of our kids join a rep sporting team because that competition only played on Sunday mornings, which is when we went to church, and that was a very hard conversation. But our kids know how important it is for Christians to meet with God's people. And we also gave our kids four weeks annual leave from church each year. In addition to family holidays, they could skip kids' church or youth group four times a year for a birthday party or a band camp or a sporting game. And we found this empowered them to take responsibility for that part of their faith. Now, research in Australia says that for two out of three people in church today, it was the influence of family and parents that was pivotal in forming their worldview. And we know, don't we, that the influence of parents declines as kids go through adolescence. And this topic of intergenerational ministry that I've been asked to speak to you about today is of vital importance because adolescence has become a spiritual kill zone for our youth. We know that 80% of people in church today made a decision for Jesus before their 18th birthday. We also know something else, that before they leave home, 40% of our young people are going to give up on Jesus. 40%. Adolescence has become a spiritual kill zone. That's what the the evidence is telling us. But the evidence is telling us something else. It says that where a young person has five non-parental adults, so five people older than them who aren't mum and dad, who are role models and mentors, they are three times more likely to be sticking with Jesus into adulthood. So which young people are you going to choose to invest in? Which young people are you going to build social capital and spiritual capital into? Which five people older than your kids are you going to build into their lives? Who is going to partner with our parents in the high and hard high and hard task of building this spiritual capital into our kids' lives? Will it be the the youth leaders? Who's going to be building investments into their life? Maybe people here can be aunties and uncles for the young people here at St John's. You see, this talk isn't just for parents. It's for every single one of God's people. It's for all of us. So let the young people around you see how you wrestle with bringing your faith to bear on life let them see how you struggle to read the bible regularly and to pray or maybe that's just me who has that struggle let them see how you make sacrifices to meet with God's people and invest in kingdom work because you can only impact someone from up close and we want to impact our young people for Christ because he is the most impressive person they could ever meet I hope that my words this morning to you are an encouragement to raise the next generation as Christians. And perhaps you've picked up one or two things you might do uh, differently or better to get a better outcome uh, in your relationship with our young people and crucially in their relationship with Jesus. But I am concerned that that what I've said might be less Encouragement that I've shared with you, and more a crushing weight I've just dumped on you. Well, if that's you, I have good news. The good news is that in this business of raising our kids Christian, your job is not to be successful but to be faithful. You are not responsible for whether your kids fall in love with Jesus, whether your kids come to trust in him as Lord and Saviour or walk away from him and keep him at arm's distance, that is not your responsibility, that's God's responsibility. Because Christianity is a relationship. Have you ever set up two of your single friends? Your job is not to make the relationship work. No, your job as a well-intentioned, nosy interfering busybody of a friend your job is to talk the couple up to each other and make every encounter between them as good as it can be your job is to make each as attractive as possible to the other and because christianity is a relationship we saw that earlier and because in jesus god has already loved every single person more than they can ever realize our job is to make jesus attractive to our kids our job is to make the Christian life, living with Jesus as our King and our Master, our overarching, overwhelming priority, our job is to make that attractive to our kids. And with that 20 minute introduction, I come to my sermon. Relax, I'm almost done. Psalm 78, verse 4. The psalmist does this by telling his readers the great things God has done for his people. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, and the wonders He has done. How do you make the Christian life attractive to your kids, attractive to the next generation? It's simple. You tell them the great things God has done for you. Tell them how Jesus has changed your life. Celebrate answered prayers. Tell your kids what you're reading in the Bible. Read the Bible with them. How do you raise your kids as Christians? How do you build this spiritual capital into the next generation? How do you engage in intergenerational ministry? Well, you just talk to young people about your Christian faith. You let them see you live out the Christian life, the mountaintop experiences and the valleys. You remember that your job is to be faithful, not successful. And you do it by praying for our young people that they will never know a day without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, their Master and their Friend. How about I pray for us now? Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus you have loved us with an eternal, overwhelming, unconditional love. We thank you for the young people in our lives. They are our future, the future of our church, the future of our society. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would put on our hearts the conviction of the need to be investing in them, Heavenly Father, bring into our orbit, we pray, young people that we can model the Christian life to. We pray this for their sake and the glory and honour of Jesus in their life. Amen.